Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Cardio nerds, thanks for joining us. We have a very special announcement for you. Are you ready for this? Introducing the Cardio Nerds Case Reports, hashtag CNCR. All right, enough of the sound effects. But joining us to introduce this very special episode series is none other than the editor-in-chief of Jack Case Reports, Dr. Julia Grapsa. Friends, get ready for a wild ride of an episode series, one case at a time. Without further ado, let's tell you all about it in this episode. We are beyond excited to introduce a new episode series, The Cardio Nerds Case Reports. In this format, we bring to you a fun, engaging, and educational conversation among colleagues about interesting cases. We truly believe that hearing about a patient is a singular theme that can unify everyone at every level, from the student to the professor emeritus. Everyone loves a good case. We are all about inclusivity and diversity in our mission to democratize cardiovascular education. In this spirit, case submissions are open to everyone. And our not-so-secret recipe for these conversations includes just three key ingredients. Humility, respect, and curiosity. It's okay to not know all the answers. As Carol Dweck would say, becoming is better than being. This series is all about learning together in our shared love for cardiovascular medicine. Team. We are incredibly honored to introduce a very special guest to kick off the CNCR series, Dr. Julia Grapsa, the editor-in-chief of Jack Case Reports. Dr. Grapsa graduated from Ioannina Medical School in Greece, where she fell in love with cardiology. With a growing passion for cardiovascular medicine, she went on to London, where she took up an unpaid job at Hammersmith Hospital to train in echocardiography. She was a pro bono echocardiographer by day and waitress by night. Her work ethic and skill were recognized, and she began formal training in cardiology. Dedicated to education, she joined the European Society of Cardiology as ambassador for imaging from Greece and later rose in rank to chair for the early career cardiologists in cardiovascular imaging. Dr. Grapsa worked for Cleveland Clinic, Abu Dhabi, and then moved to the UK as a consultant cardiologist for Bart's Heart Center. In March 2020, Dr. Grapsa started working as a consultant cardiologist at Guy's and St. Thomas NHS Trust. Within the UK's leading structural valve disease group, Dr. Grapsa is responsible for the Valvular Heart Disease Network and Echocardiography, a position previously held by Professor John Chambers. In February 2019, she accepted the role of inaugural editor-in-chief of Jack Case Reports. In June 2019, she launched the first issue of the journal. And today, she is joining us to introduce the Cardi Nerds Case Report series. Dr. Grapsa, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a great pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you, Amit. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. I cannot thank you enough for this invitation. Dr. Grapsa, before we dive in, we want to wish you and everyone at Jack a very happy belated birthday for the Jack Case Reports. So I'm just going to sing a little bit. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday happy to birthday Jack Case Reports. Reports. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. To you. <laughs> so, congratulations. Thank you so much. 
It this been, last June, the journal became a full year old. How do you feel about that? So it has been a great year. I could never believe that I would be, first of all, the editor-in-chief for Jack Case Reports. If you asked me two years, like in 2018, I would tell you, seriously, I don't even think that I would become the editor-in-chief. So it has been a great year, starting from the fact that I work with wonderful people, uh, with the editors-in-chief for the sister journals, Dr. Fuster himself, the editorial office, and also my editorial office. And we handled 3,400 manuscripts approximately. And it has been a lot of work, but every moment of this uh, year has been quite a great, uh, you know, pleasure and, and satisfaction. And it's, it has been a very rewarding year for us. So thank you very much for your wishes. And I would like primarily to thank the people who are listening to this podcast and for their support and all the love and respect we have received this wonderful year. Thank you. That's incredible, Dr. Grapsa. And a congratulations is certainly in order. Maybe you couldn't believe that you would have been offered this opportunity, but as editor-in-chief, you've just done some amazing things over there, and we're really excited to talk about some of them. Speaking of case reports, William Osler famously said that to study the phenomena of disease without books is to sail an uncharted sea, while to study books without patients is not to go to sea at all. So Dr. Grapsa, the Cardinals are just so very excited and proud to be introducing the CardioNerds case reports. Some of my favorite moments are hearing about interesting cases and quandaries from colleagues. There is just so much value in these moments. With these CNCR episodes, we want to showcase this ubiquitous hidden curriculum of storytelling for everyone and everywhere to enjoy and learn together. As the editor-in-chief of Jack Case Reports, Dr. Grapsa, we would love your perspective on the value of learning from cases. Yeah, that's uh, quite right. First of all, I would like to congratulate you for starting the Cardio Nerds Case Report series. This will be quite exciting for sure. And I can see that you're doing everything in such detail and in perfection. So I'm sure it will be of great success. So case reports are these practically the proof of learning. So imagine, I, I feel that everything coming from clinical guidelines, whatever we learn from the medical school up to our training, where is the evidence of that? Clinical cases, our patients. To be able to practically demonstrate how you manage the patient, how you made the differential diagnosis, and what is the evidence from starting, right, start writing a case report from a history of presentation, up to the diagnosis and then the whole discussion around the guidelines. Or, for example, sometimes we may not follow guidelines. So why we are not following guidelines? This, again, you're trying to practically demonstrate to the audience, either if your audience is, for example, your boss or your colleagues at the multidisciplinary meeting, or, for example, going further to a journal, you're trying to demonstrate why you managed the patient in the way you did. So the presentation of clinical cases is the vehicle of education, of the guidelines, of any maybe research paper that was there five years ago and maybe has actually now been put into clinical practice. That's how I see clinical cases. And I, I heard recently from one of our editorial board members the nice phrase that if you would like to show actually the outcome of your lecture and if you would like to impress your audience, have a clinical case. It's quite interesting to see, as I mentioned, the evidence. 
And uh, I want also to stress the importance that in the journal, and as you will see now with Cardio Nerds case reports, you will have different institutions. We have also different countries. And some countries, they may not have the means that we have in, in, in the United States, we have in UK. We receive, for example, many case, clinical cases from Asia, from Australia, from um, Africa. So we see how different countries manage patients. And to me, I've learned so much over the last year. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Dr. Grabsa. And that really resonates with us. So much of my learning has come from hearing my colleagues present cases at our Fellows Case Report Conference, and then having our wonderful program director, Dr. Schulman, and other faculty discuss and weigh in and give alternative thoughts. And that's what really sticks with me so much more than any book I've ever read. That's kind of one of the reasons that we are so excited about this series. And the other thing is that we've really invited every single program around the country so we can learn different things that are going on. Like we don't see Chagas disease at Johns Hopkins all that frequently, but one of the places that we are going to have on the show has tons of Chagas. And so they're going to teach us about the management and diagnosis of that condition. And so getting that geographical scope that you have, obviously the entire world we see as such a value and we're so excited about that. We really enjoyed reading the editor's perspective you wrote with Dr. Valentin Fuster titled Jack Case Reports, Moving to a Multimedia Educational Vehicle. Your foresight and innovations in the space has really resonated with us. And actually, we've been talking about your work for a very long time, and it's been an absolute inspiration. And since we launched in December 2019, we've been blown away by the warm and eager reception. And there are people out there that are just hungry for content, um, especially in this podcasting space. We initially started this project like pretty, we were like, if we only get a 500 listens an episode, we'd be very happy with that. It turns out we totally underestimated interest among our learners of all levels. And we're so excited to bring content to them. We're really stunned, privileged and humbled about having thousands of listeners download each episode. And we love collaborating with different institutions and societies such as HFSA and ASPC and ACC Fit, Women as One and countless fellowship programs, field leaders and personal mentors like yourself have really helped us broaden forge this innovation in cardiovascular education. So we really congratulate you on revolutionizing a prestigious medical journal into a multimedia educational behemoth. What is your perspective on the importance of education through a multimedia platform and how are you achieving this at Jack Case Reports? This is the most important through the clinical case. Another aspect that I didn't mention before is that you feel actually that you are a team and it involves, as you correctly said, from trainees or even sometimes we see medical students. Yeah. So medical students, uh, fellows up to senior cardiologists. So all the members of the cardiovascular care team, they present how they manage uh, a patient. So that's why we thought that this journal could be a great forum for promoting clinical cases and clinical problem solving. And then the next step would be two important aspects. One, that we accept, as you mentioned also with the Chagas case, that not only rare clinical cases or the super technology that we will see uh, in a certain country, but also educational cases, a beautiful echo. You don't, maybe without the interventional part, but we have some cases that you refresh the knowledge from the past educational cases, well-described, clear learning points. Also, the other aspect is to involve the young people. Imagine yourself, I won't say about myself because now, let's say as a consultant, maybe my schedule is more balanced than before, but yourselves as fellows that you work, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and you sleep at midnight or 
I, uh, maybe I'm, I mentioned too many hours of sleep for you, but uh, me- meaning that you would, you treat patients and you would like to show how you treat your patients. And this is so important for you as early career cardiologists to participate to the clinical case writing, to interact with your seniors, or even for us to bring you in touch with a senior cardiologist from another country and interact and write an editorial together. So this was one of our objectives, to involve the young people, to bring them in touch with the people that they admire and to work all together under this mentoring platform. I was just going to ask, when you present the case conference in front of people, uh, especially pre-COVID, where you did it in a room, and you just see people really hungry to engage and really excited, and you can look at their eyes. And now a lot of these conferences are over Zoom, and you basically maybe could see them on their their screens or whatnot. You're putting out these case reports in a written form or an online form. How do you gauge excitement or engagement of the readers? That's a good question. We are trying to stress the aspect that would be the most interesting. Let's say my priority is every time that I'm preparing an issue to group the cases under a certain pathology. Let's say last month uh, in July issue, we had orthopathies and it was everything about the aorta or the Ozaki repair, like a difficult surgical procedure and 3D printing. So trying to help the audience understanding the value of grouping the cases and then creating the mini focus issue. That's one. The other one is also I separate the cases depending on the level of expertise that will help maybe the fellows be attracted to a certain group of cases. But how? That's, a, that's interesting what you asked because we had a group of cases that we published a, a special issue on complications. And when I had a discussion with Dr. Gary Mintz from TCT, he said that when we go to meetings, practically people are attracted to complications. And why they're attracted to complications? Because they want to see what went wrong, even in uh, big groups uh, from successful centers, but always there will be something wrong, and how to avoid this complication and to deliver good clinical practice. So this, by the way, also social media are very important here because when we present the case, even in advance, before it gets published, we are trying to find the educational part, this part that of the case, the key point that will trigger the interest of the audience and then emphasize that. It's not always easy, but that's why we are working as a team and I hope that we will work together to make this happen. Thank you, Dr. Graps. And we're certainly going to take those lessons to heart as we start producing the CNCR series also. And I have to say, we love the emphasis on the young learner and the fellows, because that's really within the fabric of how we've designed the case discussions to be within peers themselves, but then also to add that flavor of additional mentorship and guidance with a content leader adding their own feedback and nuanced education at the end of the episode. So we very much appreciate that. And speaking of the people who make this happen, Dr. Grapsa, we cardiators really appreciate the evident focus of Jack Case Reports on the well-being of the physician, the patient, and the caregiver. And that's directly out of one of your papers. We created the What Makes Your Heart Flutter segment specifically to promote wellness and humanity within medicine. We ask our audience to send us recordings of what makes their hearts flutter so we can all revel in each other's successes, whether or not it's related to patient care. 
Flutter moments in the past have included things like Dr. Virginia Hahn getting free tefamidus for her patient who had ATTR cardiac amyloid, student Dr. Mark Heslin sharing his love of teaching cardiac physiology with medical students, and Dr. Saman Nematolahi spending time with his son Nolan. It's really been incredibly lifting for us and our audience to share in these moments that add so much meaning to life in an otherwise busy and chaotic profession. So we'd like to ask you, what is your perspective on the importance of being deliberate about well-being, and how do you achieve this with the Voices and Cardiology section of Jack Case Reports? So that's a, a great question. You know, uh, Amit and uh, Dan, uh, this is so important because our well-being as physicians is number one priority. And if I go back from big teachers that I had in the past, I remember also uh, Dr. Tom Mihalovich from Cleveland Clinic when we worked together in Abu Dhabi. He used to say, family first and yourself first. And then when I worked with Dr. Fuster, I think he rarely asked me about the journal because he trusts me to deliver this uh, job in that sense. Not that he doesn't, he, of course he cares. I keep him updated. But you know, also within his questions is, are you having rest? Are you sharing time with your family? Are you having vacation? You know, how important is for someone to come to you and ask about your well-being? And I say that we as mentors or me now that I have let's say, a few fellows under my care here at St. Thomas's, it's important for me to address them not only as a doctors and for them to demonstrate that they have ticked a box in the CV, but also it's important to have someone to discuss your well-being. So starting from that and acknowledging the fact that cardiology fellowship has become more challenging now and uh, we have so many problems with wellness, with humanity in medicine. Um, I saw a few manuscripts about depression among doctors and this is a fact. We cannot ignore that. So our mental health is a priority and that's why we have this, this section Voices in Cardiology. So we thought with Eric Bates and Mino Walsh, we discussed extensively, we thought that this would be a very a vital part of the journal. And through the year, I started actually as the first paper under Voice in Cardiology, and I described practically my pathway. And I think it's important to mention, and as a message to the young doctors, that unfortunately nothing is easy. And I believe that few decades back, the pathway of a cardiologist was presented as someone who has uh, incredible prestige. Everything is easy. Uh, it's as if you have the red carpet, the one that we see in the Oscars, and then you you simply walk on it. But unfortunately, reality in nowadays life is not like that. So I want to describe how, you know, even as you mentioned, I had an unpaid job for a few years. I reached a point that I was thinking to go back to Greece and that I reached another point that I thought that I, there was no future for me. And then I had people from uh, Mass General, from Dr. Levine, who helped me incredibly. And uh, of course, Dr. Narola. So, you know, the, there are time points in life that we will find some people to help us. And I feel that it's important to understand, as you mentioned, what makes our heart flatter. A recent example is like a few days ago, after seven months, I went to back home to see my family. And, you know, I burst into tears because um, here in UK, we had such a problem with COVID-19 that we were unsure when and under which circumstance we would see our family. So 
I, the fact that I was spent four days with my family, I, I felt truly blessed. Acknowledging this, and I feel that as we evolve as clinicians or scientists, or even some people that they are doing only research, it's also important to address mental health and to address our well-being. That's number one priority. Thank you so much, Dr. Grapsa. And I, I'll say that for anyone who hasn't started reading the Voices in Cardiology series, it's really an incredible series, and I've definitely enjoyed them. And I just want to reflect on what you said about Dr. Mihalovich about family first. And that sentiment really was very apparent in the way in which he helped us deal with the COVID pandemic here. And when leadership is focused on well-being, you can see the difference it makes on our well-being and the way we take care of our patients. And it really has an impact on not just us, but the patient care we deliver. So I, I definitely appreciate that sentiment. That's very important. And Amit, I will also mention because, uh, you know, it's important for me that I don't want to forget is always to acknowledge the people that they have helped us. And he, as you mentioned, he is very into family first. He praises teamwork. He keeps all the people together. And I will never forget that when my father was hospitalized under his care, he was all over, you know, he helped us a lot as if he was also a member of the family. And I would like to thank him for that. It's, it is incredible to find these people and even if we did not work, because I'm, I selected to move to back to UK, so even if we do not work at the moment, I will always say thank you and thank you to him because he has been an incredible person. Um, he was a great colleague to remember. Dr. Grapsa, we know that ACC and Jack Case Report specifically are really excited to inspire a new generation of cardiologists and by really doing that, you have to reach out to the medical student level. And when we were deciding of how to structure our show in the beginning, we were trying to figure out what the ideal audience would be. Are we going to go for medical students? Are we going to go for seasoned professors? We realized that we just had so much passion for teaching medical students and residents. And as you get siloed more and more in cardiology, you get less exposure to teaching opportunities as a trainee. So we really felt that it was so important that we capture a really wide audience. And really, we actually have medical students and nascent learners to all the way to faculty and, and many wonderful institutions. And case reports really does that. It allows that connection because people learn from the case reports what they can learn at those particular levels. And that is really probably one of the secret sauces to the value of the hidden curriculum of discussing cases. And that's part of the inspiration for this. So we really plan to make this content approachable and valuable for everyone engaging in educational discussion amongst peers, followed by added recording of more nuanced teaching from a content expert. The latter would almost be like an editorial reflecting on the discussion and providing more advanced perspectives as we talked about earlier before this recording. Jack K Supports has been so successful in keeping the content relevant for a broad audience. What is your experience with that and what tips do you have for us going forward? That's very interesting. So I feel, as you correctly said, first of all, we need to keep in mind that the young people would like to demonstrate their work. That's a fact. And uh, before I was um, the chair of the young community for imaging, then I'm still technically under the cardiology of tomorrow uh, as per age. So I understand young people. And I think the key point is here to bring them in touch with the senior people not necessarily from the same institution, or they could be like fellow and attending from the same institution and invite an external also senior person and have a fruitful discussion. This in a podcast is quite interesting. 
And it reminds me that, again, for our topathies, the mini-focus issue, we had Dr. Eric Eiselbacher and his fellow, Dr. Jonathan Salik, and they were amazing together because the one actually uh, implemented the other. When you worked every day in clinical practice, doing a podcast and explain how you manage your patient, it's superb. Another thing, though, sometimes uh, senior people, in order to keep their attention, we did that. I think it's quite successful to separate the levels of training if you want to do that, or maybe indicate that uh, this is more of educational, or uh, let's say this case would be more technical, because we have interventionalists or electrophysiologists that they are doing sometimes they want to see more technical cases or more simple cases, or more educational. So, you know, this is such a huge variety that when you will be doing the podcast, you can simply explain to the audience that this is more of an educational case that's applicable to the fellows or to uh, echocardiography fellows and so on. By uh, explaining this variation in the clinical case, I think the audience will be quite happy. And also, you have already engaged the young people, so you are already so successful because I know from all the people that were working with the journal, they are discussing about Cardio Nerds podcast. I told you also before, I have no doubt that you will do an incredible job. Thank you so much, Dr. Grapsa. That really made our day and I uh, really appreciate the advice that we can certainly incorporate to help us improve as we move forward. And as I said earlier, we really enjoyed reading about your story in your Voices in Cardiology article in the inaugural issue of Jack Case Reports. Your struggles, doubts, and successes are so relevant for all of us as we grow into our own careers. We're grateful to you for sharing such personal parts of your life story. We want to ask you more specifically about your track to becoming an editor-in-chief of a major journal. In doing so, I'd like to share something that Dr. Nosheen Riza from the University of Pennsylvania sent us as we were planning this discussion. She sent us an article titled, Women Representation Among Cardiology Journal Editorial Boards by Dr. Bala Subramanian et al., published in Circulation in February 2020. They looked at women representation in editorial boards of major general and subspecialty cardiology journals. The results were disappointing, but unfortunately not at all surprising. From 1998 to 2018, there were no women editors-in-chief of a U.S. general cardiology journal only one woman editor-in-chief of a European general cardiology journal. Women editorial board membership did increase significantly for both circulation and JAK. However, absolute representation of women remains very low, less than 13% in editorial boards of U.S. journals in 2018. They ended their paper within their conclusions that said that diversity in editorial boards not only can improve the societal relevance and quality of the journal, but also can provide women role models for future generations. And we'd also like to contextualize this discussion with the following clip from Dr. Martha Galati's discussion from episode 18. When we only show the face of cardiology to be predominantly men, if leaders are predominantly men, if speakers are predominantly men, if journal editors are predominantly men, women do not see themselves in that role. If they don't have role models, we need more of us out there working every day, encouraging our younger colleagues that this is something enjoyable and something that we are passionate about. And we have fun every day. And if we make our environment 
better for women and men and more welcoming to everyone. Of, and it's not just women and men. We need more diversity in our field. That is what is going to make people see, I can be like that person. I am like that person. I am going to enter that career. Dr. Grapsa, you are one of few women editors-in-chief. How did you get there? How can we make our field more diverse? And what is your message for our more junior audience? So I heard the podcast and it's amazing. So I would recommend it to everybody to listen to the podcast of uh, Martha. Martha is uh, an advocate of uh, women uh, for many years and uh, she has worked very hard to, I see quite often on her Twitter posts about man panels. And starting from the main point is, as you know, uh, not many women are going into cardiology. And I'm happy to see that now more women are going into cardiology fellowship and because they are inspired by other women. So in the editorial boards, you're right, we need more women to be in the editorial boards of journals. And when we start Jack Kay's reports, of course, to get me together with Bonnie Key, we were the first women editors-in-chief for Jack Journals. So it was a great honor but also we made sure when we create the editorial board to try to have a lot of women in the editorial board. And for example, Mino Walsh is our deputy editor. And at the moment we have Tabitha Moe and we had before Ami Bad and a lot of others. The most important is to understand that it's important to have an, a great balance between men and women. And there are also different levels in an editorial board. So even if uh, from any country they don't have the the experience, they can be like reviewers and then escalate at the editorial board. And this is the point of the mentoring platform. No one is born uh, an exceptional reviewer. No one is born an editorial board member. No one is born an editor-in-chief. But that's why it's important to teach people. As we learn from experience and we have meetings almost every day, more or less for the journals, we learn. And I speak with Bonnie quite often. We support each other. But also I have to acknowledge that the male editors-in-chief from the sister journals, they are so supportive. It feels like a family. We don't feel that we are the exception. Now, specifically for as a message to the junior audience, and if uh, I remember myself, I knocked on so many doors. It's unbelievable because I was simply very stubborn. And even for the editor-in-chief position, I'll be honest with you, I want to see, because I had done a lot of work for the European Society of Cardiology for many years, and a friend of mine uh, sent me the email for the Jack Case reports. And he said, oh, you would be the ideal person for this position. And I said, I will try, but I don't think that I will be getting this position. It's impossible. And then uh, I was uh, shortlisted and I did the presentation. I explained to them that I've worked a lot with clinical cases and when I received that phone call that I still remember, I was so surprised. I didn't expect that. And I was uh, a little bit reluctant. I thought that I'm not experienced enough to undertake this position. But uh, then I said I will do it. And then now I'm glad that the journal is going well. So as an advice to women out there and to colleagues, 
is do not get discouraged because if uh, you apply for one position or for one editorial board and you do not get uh, to the point to participate, then there will be another editorial board or another group that they will accept you and they will promote you. Another important thing not to forget as an advice to everybody is you will need to work in a group that you will feel promoted. Uh, because when we I participated to a course for uh, women for leadership among women from the University of Oxford, and a very important aspect that they told us is that quite frequently women are over mentored but under promoted. And I felt exactly the same. It was so successful to say that because for me as well, for many years, they were telling me, you're doing a great job. Keep doing the same. Oh, we love you. Oh, we feel you're exceptional. And I would see that nothing would change. So I wouldn't feel promoted. I wouldn't feel that I would be a part of a group. You need to be in a group that you will feel promoted. And me, after I joined also Jack Journals, I, I felt that I keep being promoted, that I work with people, that they're amazing. And I feel that I have changed within a year as a human being, as a clinician, and of course, as editor-in-chief. Uh, last advice to anyone who would like to participate in the editorial process and to participate within Jack Case Reports, even if they don't have the experience, they could email us, uh, either myself or, of course, Jack uh, Case Reports, and express their interest with a short CV just to understand their field of expertise and what they have done in order to match them. And we will help them because I would like to help as many people as possible. Wow, that's amazing, Dr. Grapsa. Yeah, that's an incredible opportunity. Speaking of women in cardiology and women in medicine, this is actually a really great opportunity for Amith and I to thank the rest of our team, Kareen Hamo, cardiology fellow, and Heather Kagan, internal medicine resident at Johns Hopkins, who are such big contributors. They're members and co-hosts, and they are just such creative people. They contribute to our show in such an incredible way. Kareen is the mastermind behind so many of our schematics and infographics, and Heather is going to be leading our up-and-coming Cardio Nerds Academy and allows us to make content so relevant for our internal medicine fans. And they just can't be here because for the listeners, it's 5 a.m. in the morning because we're trying to reach Dr. Grapsa in the UK. Thank you for waking up so early. <laughs> uh, I was just wondering, when you have randomized controlled trials or you have other kind of studies, observational studies, the peer review, I, I could see being very technical and uh, very important. And with case reports as well, there's so many times where somebody comes over to me and be like, Dan, we have such a great case. And they'll describe this case. It sounds like that there's a zebra here and a red herring there. And it sounds like they come up with this like uh, diagnosis of exclusion that ultimately I'm sometimes scratching my head. I'm going like, uh, it sounds like coronary artery disease, something simple that kind of wasn't evaluated. So I'm sure there are a lot of cases that are brought up that you're sometimes scratching your head and going, is this really a case report or is this a common phenomenon that was just missed? And then you also have these new kind of uh, cases that arise, especially in the COVID era. One of my mentors is Lon Witstein, and he was one of the first people to describe stress cardiomyopathy when that was being recognized or back in the day. And so I was wondering, how do you balance the peer review in case reports when it comes to new phenomena that are being seen when you don't really have a, a precedent for a particular ailment or illness that's being described potentially for the first time? Are, is there a risk of missing out on those types of uh, presentations? And could you speak a little bit about the peer review process in case reports? 
That's a great question. Thank you, Dan. So you're right, because during the COVID area, we had a little bit of problem because we received few cases that you could not understand how COVID could induce this. So there was a, a huge gap between the cause and causation. First of all, the peer review, let me explain to you how it is taking place. An author will submit a paper that will go the initial quality check from the editorial office. Then I receive the case and if it depends if it is something that it's uh, sometimes can be low priority for the journal. If it is a case that is not going to be of great interest for the audience, of course, we have a very high threshold to reject some cases from without review. And all the cases we are discuss even those rejected, we are discussing them at the editorial board meeting. Then, uh, if a case is good enough to go to the associate editor, the associate editor gets the case and they allocate reviewers. And two reviewers, they have 14 days to submit their review. Then, when the moment that the review will come back, we have every Wednesday an editorial board meeting that takes like mean of two hours, and we will discuss all the case of the week. And we have to get the consensus of the group that this case will go through as a, for publication or for revision. So uh, every common, we have, say, 15 people. So if one person out of the 15 express some concerns, then I document everything. Then we decide whether it will be reject the novo or accept with major revision, and we forward the feedback to the authors. We had, um, uh, I'll explain an, an example from a COVID case that was a great case from our colleagues in Spain, and they know because we discussed extensively. It was an exceptional case, however, it was poorly written. And this is simply because the authors did not have this ease with the English language, which is completely fine. So what we did is we arranged a, a Skype call with them. We explained to them what we want them to correct verbally. Uh, and then uh, Dr. Eric Bates kindly corrected the whole case for English. It doesn't happen quite often. Sometimes we might go back to the authors and say, please uh, improve the English language. But we are trying, the main message is we are trying to help as much as possible to make this case a perfect case for publication. Wow, that's really cool to hear. First of all, the rigorous process of peer review is really fascinating to hear. And what really makes my heart flutter is the journal going out of its way to make, you know, here's a great case that just wasn't presented and going out of your way to make that case applicable because it really highlights the importance of the mission to bring the case to the people. That's really, you know, it's what we want to do with democratizing cardiology. And you're not going to let a barrier get in the way of that. And that really speaks volumes to the mission that you have and all the work that you and your colleagues are doing. Exactly. And if you allow me, Dan, to say something important, and that's why, because now with the social media and I have social media accounts, as you understand, I receive a lot of personal messages. Oh, um, shall we submit this case to Jack Case Reports? And uh, this is a message actually to everybody. Unfortunately, if I reply and I say that's an interesting case or maybe that's not an interesting case, I represent one person out of the 20. And as you, uh, now that I explained the peer review process and how we discuss the cases, so if I don't find the case interesting, but 10 of my colleagues find this case interesting, we have democracy. This case will go to the next stage. 
So you understand how important it is that we encourage everybody to submit online because then all of us, we could discuss the case all together as a group. I'm not uh, the one who will decide whether a case will be accepted or get rejected. It's a part of the process. Dr. Grapsa, we are so thankful that you answered our personal message to join us on this episode. And as also a special thanks to Dr. Ankur Kalra for helping us make that connection. Our excitement for the CardioNerds case report seems to be matched only by your enthusiasm for Jack, for cardiology in general, and for mentorship to the next generation. We are just so thankful for your joining us to introduce the CNCR series, and we'll definitely be applying some of your feedback and advice for us, and even more excited about collaborating in the future. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your experience, your story, and your advice with us cardio nerds. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. Dr. Grapsa graduated from Ionina Medical School in Greece. Did I get that right? Uh, it's Ioannina, but that's okay. Ioannina? Yes, but that's okay. You can oh my God. We practiced. Oh my gosh. No, but we have to okay. say it right. Okay. Yeah, we got to get it right. We got to get it right. We got to get it right. <laughs> Dr. Grapsa graduated from Ioannina. Oh, my God. It's Ioannina. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs>